Hallelujah. Oh, come on, come on. We made it. We made it another week. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, let us give him praise. Let us give, let us give him praise. Ah, you know, they, they said that the uh, pandemic is almost officially over. <laughs> God has been so good. He's been so faithful. He's been so awesome. We just have to give him praise. Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 1 through 10. We're going to go from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. And I'm reading it from the NASB. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. Chapter 8, there we go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who did not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who are for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who are according to the spirit the things of the spirit verse 6 for the mind set on the flesh is death but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Verse 10, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And let's quickly skip down to verse 16. Verse 16, where it says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Amen. If you are a child of God, you, this is an awesome time for you to just shout hallelujah. hallelujah. This is an awesome time to just sing praise to him because you are a child of God. That means that the spirit is inside of you testifying, declaring, making it clear, affirming that you are his. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we just want to thank you. We want to give you the praise. We want to give you the honor. We want to thank you because of who you are. We want to thank you, Father God, because you are a God who loves. You are a loving God, a merciful God. You're a God who declares peace. You're a God who's, who, who sits above the heavens. You sit on your throne and you look down upon us and you just declare your love on us. And so we're forever thankful. We're ever thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, who uh, was willing to give his life on the cross of Calvary so that we might have life in you. We're even especially thankful for your Holy Spirit who dwells within us 
encouraging us to live the life that you have called us to live, empowering us to live the life that you have called us to live. And so we just glorify you. We pray, Father God, that today, um, that as we are hearing this message, that someone somewhere will be tuned into Jesus Christ because of what they've heard. And we just pray in the name of Jesus that as many as are far or near, that they will hear the gospel and that their lives will be radically changed and, they, and what they were before, they are no more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the 19th of next month, there is a holiday that is not officially recognized by mainstream America, but is just as culturally significant as the 4th of July. This holiday is called Juneteenth. I know one person said amen. <laughs> oh, my people, my people. <laughs> Juneteenth is a holiday celebrating the Emancipation Proclamation. The Emancipation Proclamation was an executive order that, was, that led to the signing of the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the, emancipation, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation that led to the signing of the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution is what made slavery illegal except in a case of imprisonment specifically for black people who were brought to America for the purpose of slavery. Uh, well, nobody shouts hallelujah for that, but I'm just going to go on. <laughs> the executive order called the Emancipation Proclamation was effective January 1st, 1863. And so for some of you who may not have known your history, wonder why we celebrate uh, or have watch night services. Um, the reason why we have watch night services is because on the 31st of 19, uh, sorry, of 1862, um, the slaves would stay up all night with the expectation that the very next day that they would no longer be considered slaves but be, but be free. So on this particular night, they would stay up all night and they would be worshiping and they would pr be praising God because they knew that, the, that soon to come, they would be declared free. Amen? Amen? So that's why we have watch night services. So hopefully when we have watch night service this year, we'll have watch night service with that understanding that we have a freedom that we did not experience or would not have experienced outside of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. So the Emancipation Proclamation was signed on the 1st uh, or went into effect on the 1st of January, 1863, but the slaves in Texas were unaware of this freedom until June 19th, 1865. Which means for two years and somewhere around five months after the fact that there's a law that declared that they were free, they were still living in slavery. There was a law that set them free, but they were unaware and therefore continued to live as slaves for over two years. And my question to you this morning is, are you free but still living like a slave? Do you have a slave mentality? Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church. 
And the purpose of him writing this letter to the Roman church was to basically settle, uh, was partly to settle some issues that were going on in the Roman church. Um, at the, prior to, the, when the Roman church was established, it comprised pr predominantly of Jewish Christians. Um, it was majority of the Christians that were in the Roman church were Jewish Christians. There weren't a lot of Gentiles at that particular moment. Well, if you're familiar with uh, Roman history and uh, the Roman imperial system, Emperor Claudius at some time um, in Roman history expelled the Jews from Rome and they basically, all the Jews, whether you were uh, Christian or non-believing, you had to leave Rome. That was the law. And so upon their departure from the church in Rome, you had predominantly a whole lot of uh, Gentiles who were still functioning in the church. Now, under, Roman, uh, under the Roman emperor Nero, I believe, it has now, they were now allowed, the Jews were now allowed to come back to Rome. And of course, quite naturally, you would want to go back to the church that you had left. Well, when the Jews came back to the church, it was now they realized that there was a, a, a heavy or a lot more um, uh, Gentiles who are present in this church, and now the Jews are the minority. And these Gentiles, kind of like when you're, you know, you're leaving church for the pandemic, you know, and then you come back after the pandemic is over, and you come back and you find that there's things that are just different. The Gentiles in this particular church did not have an affinity towards the law. You know, the law was something that was different for the Gentiles. They themselves, the Gentiles, had experienced being saved in Christ Jesus. They are now experiencing this new, um, this new form, uh, this new thing to celebrate. Um, but they were not particularly care, they did not particularly care much about the law the same way that the Jews would have cared about the law. And so therefore, Paul is writing this letter in a sense to help settle some of these issues that were this tension that was rising between the Jews and the Gentiles. So what is the law? The word law in Greek comes from the word nomos. The Hebrew word for law is Torah. The Torah, which is the Hebrew word for law, is very complex in its meaning. Sometimes when I hear how we speak about the law, I cringe because in our Western thinking, we have limited the law to just rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. And so we, we have minimized what it means to the Jewish people. Uh, let me just give you a quick illustration. If I was to go to the American Archives Museum and, and lay hold of documents called the Constitution of the United States of America and burn them on national TV, I would be vilified by all of America. I wouldn't have an opportunity to get a job. I would probably be thrown in prison. There's a lot of bad things that would happen to me and probably not just me, maybe even my family. Why? Because I have desecrated something that was considered sacred to the foundation um, and, and, and to basically to the foundation of the United States of America. And this is how Jewish people view the Torah. 
The Torah was their constitution as a people. The law was their constitution as a people. And so therefore, it was something in a sense that set them apart from all the nations of the world. It was something that identified them and their relationship with Yahweh. It was something that was extremely important to them. So talking about the law of the Torah inappropriately is akin to talking bad about the American Constitution. Here's where it gets exciting. Last Sunday, globally, we celebrated what we call Pentecost Sunday. The first Pentecost in Scripture was the day when Yahweh gave Israel the Torah or the law. And you can find this in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, or Exodus chapter 31. The Torah encapsulates the Israel's identity before Yahweh and the nations. It is enshrined in the law of Moses. It contains the blessings as well as punishment for disobedience. And it also alienated Gentiles from receiving the blessings of God. Pentecost takes, uh, takes place approximately 50 days after Passover. So in chronology, God, Passover, if you remember, makes the, marks the occasion when Yahweh delivered Israel from, e from Egyptian bondage, and then he gives Israel a, the, the Torah as a means to identify them as his people. Let me, bring it, let me fast forward it just a bit. You have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. So Passover for Israel is redemption from Egyptian bondage. Passover for us takes on a particular different meaning. It is, re is redemption from the bondage of sin. The law was given to Israel to identify Israel as God's people. The spirit has been given to you to identify you as the people of God in the exact same sequence. Amen. Amen. Are you free or still living like a slave? Now the law is a means for instructing the Israelites, demonstrating their more superiority, demonstrating the moral superiority of Yahweh, um, but however, it did have its flaws. Paul says in Romans chapter eight, verse seven, if you can actually give me that in the Amplified. Romans chapter eight, verse seven. It says that the, it says that the, okay, that is because the mind of the flesh with its carnal thoughts and purposes is hostile to God for it does not submit itself to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. What does that mean for us? As human beings, we are just natural lawbreakers. The law is not a bad thing. However, because we are natural lawbreakers, we just do not like to follow the law. The law says this is a period of time in which you need to stay home because it's the pandemic. You know what we like to do? The government is taking away our rights. We cannot stand this government. Why? Because we just do not like 
uh, laws. We hate laws. It's just not in us to follow the law. The law says do not go past 55 on the speed limit when you're going down the road. What do we do? Well, if I go 65, it won't be that bad. <laughs> if I go 70, as long as there's no police around, it's not that bad. Or if you're like my wife, if the, if, the, if the light is red and nobody is watching, I can run the light. <laughs> we are just natural lawbreakers. And just like she's saying, oh, that's not me, that's not me. Yep, that's how we are before God. No, I didn't break the law. <laughs> I have rules in my house um, in which I expect that my children are to obey. From my, from my vantage point, the law that governs my household is from a place of love. That's the reason why I give these laws. I don't want my children to live in mess, and so I instruct them to clean up after themselves every night before going to bed. I remind them on a daily, before you go to bed, please clean up your room. It is not in their hearts to clean up their room. It's just not in them. I can tell them that whoever cleans up, the, whoever cleans up after themselves every day consistently for the entire week will earn a special gift. Day one, they do it. Day two, they do it if they even remember. By the end of the week, they will remind me of my responsibility to give them their gifts, but completely ignore their responsibility for doing what they were supposed to do, which is clean up their room every day of the week. In other words, we love to remind God about his promises and his blessings and everything that God needs to, that God had promised to do for us. Oh, thank you, God. You promised me this. Oh, thank you, God. We promised me that. But if we were living under the law, God would say, hey, you got responsibilities that you have not fulfilled on your end. The Torah, the Torah observant Jew and the lawless Gentile both parties guilty before God. Why? Because we are natural law breakers. The law under Moses was not in their hearts, so it did not drive them to love God with all their hearts, mind, and will. Obedience to the law was driven by the fear of God's wrath rather than God's, lo God's love. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Yeah, keep it in the Amplified. Thank you. Some of y'all may be thinking, dang, he's not doing the NASB. I read the Amplified. I, I like the, the Amplified for certain reasons, and I thought it was very useful for today. Uh, so Romans chapter 3, verses 9 says, Well then, are we Jews superior and better off than they? In other words, Paul is basically, you know, doing a rhetorical argument that the Jews would make in, in regards to the in Gentiles. And Paul says, no, not at all. We have already charged that all men, both Jews and Greeks, that is Gentiles, the nations, are under sin, held down by and subject to its power and control. Verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, just and truthful and upright and conscientious. 
No, not one. Everybody is guilty. No one understands, no one intelligently discerns or comprehend, comprehends, no one seeks out God. Verse 11. All have turned aside together. They have gone wrong. Sorry, yeah, verse 12. Yeah, they have gone wrong and have become unprofitable and worthless. No one does right, not even one. That's everybody, right? That covers all of us, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Since all have sinned and are fallen short of the honor and are and for all since all have sinned and are falling short of the honor and glory which God bestows and receives. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and we're just going to read part A. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages which sin pays is death, but the bountiful gift of God is eternal life through him. The wages of sin is death. Therefore, so basically what it means is that there is condemnation. What is condemnation? The Greek word for condemnation is katakrima. Katakrima is not simply saying that you're guilty of violating the law. Katakrima actually now means that you have been, or what has been assigned to you as a result of your guilt is the death penalty. In other words, because you have sinned, you have now received the sentence of death. Romans uh, 6.23 makes that clear to us um, that there is a, this is what we call the curse of the law. It is also known as the law of sin and death. It is a principle that is enacted every time a sin is committed. The Jews understood this very well. They tried to obey the law out of fear of God's wrath, but the nature of sin, the carnal mind that is in bondage to sin, has no choice but to serve the pleasure of sin. And because the law is incapable of changing man's nature, the sinner was hopelessly lost on a path to destruction. I remember just watching a, a movie just a couple, of, um, a couple of days ago. And of course the movie is old, but if you remember, it's this movie called Life. Has anybody seen that movie, Life, uh, with Martin Lawrence and Eddie Murphy? Okay, we got one brother back there. Everyone, everybody else is just pretending that they didn't watch Life. But, but Kunle Jr., if you remember in Life, there was this brother um, who was called Can't Get Right. And Can't Get Right was called Can't Get Right because he, you know, they just thought that he was just dumb. He couldn't, he couldn't hear. And so they just, they just, that was just the nickname they get him, gave him can't get right. The funny thing about it is that is the nature that we have. We just can't get right. Before God, we just can't get right. There's nothing in us that motivates us to do the right thing. We just cannot get right. We are, in a sense, morally impaired, just like in the movie how can't get right was, was, uh, was mute or he was verbally impaired. We are morally impaired before God. We just can't get right. 
Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20 says that the person who sins will die. The son, who, the son will not bear the punishment of, uh, for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquities. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. We are morally impaired. We can't get right. And so therefore, we cannot serve God. Therefore, we are under this penalty called the curse of the law or the law of sin and death. And before God, we are just hopeless. The Gentiles were hopelessly lost because they lived as a law unto themselves, which meant that we determined what was good and bad based on our conscience. They did not know the goodness of Yahweh and they had no access to the blessings of the covenant and were still guilty before God. No atonement, no light, just living in perpetual darkness. People will worship drugs, alcohol. They will brag about how high they get. Do you have any one of those friends, you know, that, you know, you talk to them, they always talking about how drunk they got off of this particular liquor. Is that just me or... Okay, just me. Okay, I got one of those friends. My bad. I need to come to church a little bit more. <laughs> I have friends. That's all they do. They just bragged about how high they got. Or they would brag about just how, how drunk they got. They would brag about this particular uh, liquor bottle, this wine, or, or, you know, just how good this weed was. You know, just, just you know, brag about, you know, about sin. People will worship their cars. They worship the houses they live in. They'll brag about how many sex partners they had. They will blaspheme the name of God. They will turn, you turn on the radio and all they're doing is basically selling sex these days. I don't even listen to the radio anymore because that's all they're doing. They're just selling sexual immorality. And now we're at a point where we are reprimanded if we call a boy a boy or a girl or a girl. If we call a man a man or a woman or a woman, we are likely to go down to the human resources um, department because that is just where we are in the state that we're in. Sin is highly celebrated. Sin is highly appreciated. The Torah observant Jew and the Gentile are in violation of God's law and sentenced to death. Condemnation because both Jew and Gentiles have failed to live according to the spirit of the law. What is the spirit of the law? Um, simply, and just, a, just a, as a summary, because we don't have a lot of time, the spirit of law, in a sense, was just the whole, the purpose of the law existing. If you looked in Matthew chapter, um, Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 to to 40, in summary, um, the, the lawyer, this esteemed legal professional, asked Jesus, well, what is the greatest commandment? And this was as, as a means of testing Jesus. And Jesus simply told him, like, look, you know, there, there's two laws that you need to pay attention to. One is to love God with all your mind, all your heart, all your spirit, soul, body, everything that is in you. And the other one is just as good as the first one. And that is to love your neighbors as you would love yourself. And then Jesus says that on the law, these two, or on the entire law, the, or yeah, on the entire law, these two commandments hang. So the spirit of law, the whole purpose of the law was to encourage us to love both God and to love our neighbors. So 
the Torah, uh, the Torah observant Jew and my fellow Gentiles, are you sure that you love Yahweh with all your mind, body, and soul? And do you love your community in the same way? Because if you fail to pray to God every day, or if you cheated on your spouse, or if you lied to your parents, or you fail to worship God at least one day a week for every week, then you are guilty of violating the law and under divine judgment and condemnation, meaning you have a death penalty that is assigned to your account. We have to know how bad it is in order to appreciate how good God's grace is. We have to know that according to the law, we're under condemnation, a death penalty that is assigned to us whether we knew it or didn't, because, but there is good news. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 stated as we read earlier, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. On the first Pentecost, God gave Israel the law of Moses written on stone tablets that came with death in which the condition of Israel was no better spiritually and it required obedience um, that they were unable to produce for righteousness that they were unable to obtain. And for the Gentiles, you can basically just forget it. But this new law called Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ, God said, I'm doing a new thing. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 32 to 34. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 32 to 34. You can give it to me in the NASB. It says, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, to them declares Yahweh. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them and on their hearts I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That old law brought death. When it was established on day one, 3,000 disobedient and rebellious Israelites were killed on the spot. That old law brought condemnation. That old law brought judgment. That old law brought God's wrath. That old law made no excuses for me. That old law counted me out. That old law, that old law couldn't save me. That old law was working against me. That old law was empowered by the law of sin and death. But this new law called the law of the spirit in Jesus Christ, one, sets me free from the law of sin and death as we just read in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 2. Two, this new law regenerates me. Our nature is changed and we're given a new nature. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus and he tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And, Jesus, and then Nicodemus says, hey, do I, does that mean that I need to enter into my mother's womb for a second time? And Jesus says, you know, Jesus basically responds to him, you're the teacher of the law. These things you should know. You have to be born of water, born in the spirit. What was Jesus alluding to? Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. 
says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Amen. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you. <laughs> I like that. His spirit causes us. I don't have to do it myself. His spirit causes me to walk in his statues and to be careful to observe his ordinances. In other words, his spirit causes me to live exactly like he desires for me to live. Amen? When we talk about God's grace, I constantly hear the accusation that we're giving people the license to sin. When people hear the phrases like once saved, always saved, or eternal uh, security, that people will start to, that if we start preaching that, that people will start doing what they want to do. However, when we look at these scriptures, nothing could be further from the truth because the spirit of life in Jesus Christ, who is the new law within us, empowers us to live out a life of righteousness. We're being empowered to do this. We are no longer faced with the burden of trying to live up to God's standard. We no longer have to keep the law because this perfect law within us keeps us. This is the power of his grace. He enables us to do what we could not do on our own. Why would you want to go back to that old law? Why would you, why would I want to live under that old system? What sense does it make to function with a slave mentality? Are you free or are you still living like a slave? The teachings of grace is not anti-law. The teachings of grace is the new and improved law enshrined in the spirit of God who empowers us to love God and to love one another. On the Pentecost that we read in the Bible in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God was poured out onto all flesh, unlike before where 3,000 people died, this time 3,000 people have now committed their life to Jesus Christ. So you may be asking yourself, is it possible for me to be unsaved after being saved? Is it possible for me to lose my salvation? Is it, power, is it possible for a child of God, a God to go back and start being a child of the devil? And my answer is Romans chapter 8 verse 1 makes it clear. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Are you in Christ Jesus? That is the real question. So instead of saying once always saved, it's probably easier if we just say once saved, always sustained. Once saved, Christ sustains. Amen? We always talk about living under the law, but God didn't save us to live, for us to live under the law. He brought us out from under the law so that we can live unto him, so that we are free to live unto him, so that we're not burdened to try to keep something that we were unable to keep. Rather, he that is able to keep it now lives and dwells inside each and every one of us. And therefore, I'm living according to him. 
Scripture talks about walking after the Spirit. If you're walking after the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen? Amen. So try, instead of trying to be committed to the law, be committed to Jesus. Be committed to Christ. That's where your commitment should be. When you're, when you're committed, you tend to do a lot better than what you did before. When you're committed to your job, you tend to, every day that you come to work, you're improving how your, your processes and the things that you did the day before. When you're committed, commitment does wonders. Be committed to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is committed to you. Let us bow our heads. Father God, we just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that we have an opportunity to know you have an opportunity to, 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 to live according to your ways. Not because of what was written on stone tablets, but, what has been, but because of what has been written in our hearts. And so, Father God, I just pray for even those that are out there right now that they hear this message and want to have a desire to know you, that your spirit will speak to them and that they will grow and that we will grow as we continue hearing messages about your perfect, perfect grace, that law that is within. Thank you, Father God, for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for this spirit who is present with us, who is causing us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.